This is the Business Stuff Podcast. This is where I will share the lessons I've learned from advising thousands of businesses over almost 30 years. Each episode will give you practical insight to allow you to learn from other people's mistakes. I'll be pulling in experts from our team and the world of business, and together we'll make sure your business is giving you what you want. My name is Martin, and this is the Business Stuff Podcast. Hello, it is Jack here from the Accelerator team, and then we're back for another episode of uh, Business Stuff Podcast. I'm joined by, joined by Brad. Brad Howdy. Shannon. Howdy. Nice, nice to see you. I'll see you too. Good. <laughs> it's, it's a weird one. We've, we've known each other for quite a few years, haven't we? It's been Virtually. Virtually, we've known each other for, yeah. yeah, six, seven years. I think you did an R&D return. Yes, for, for yeah, one, one of our clients, one yeah, of back clients. in the day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and it's not as if people will be listening to your accent and go, oh, because he's probably on the other side of the world, but actually, no, you moved to Newcastle like three three years ago, was it? I did, yeah, just, oh, yeah, about, about three. Good enough. Yeah, and we still haven't seen the chip at Shopping. No, we still really. haven't, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's, but it's, uh, it's very, yeah. very nice to have you. Um, Cheers, mate. It was, uh, we, we were originally going to speak on the podcast about raising finance, because that's kind of where your expertise kind of in the finance sector are, and but also... We off camera, we started talking about R and D. People that listen know that it's my passion area, uh, so it's definitely worth kind of getting your experiences through that because they are kind of linked together. Kind of this this concept of raising raising funds and what we mean by that is sort of like through the investment. Well, one hundred percent, they're hugely linked together. But I think also depending on the the size of the companies listening to to do this, it's going to be dependent upon one another in some sense if they're yeah. going to scale and grow because I think as we were saying before this it doesn't take much to divert your attention it's great I love it <laughs> I don't think to um, but I think one of the things is you know the money that was available originally to companies that were building you know emerging R&D and tech companies I think that money's not going to be there anymore that used to be there that isn't completely reliant so I think there's going to be a lot of cash trapped companies coming up in the mm-hmm. next especially in the next financial year. Yeah, because so, the logic behind it is the R&D essentially subsidizes some of these smaller startup companies yeah. with, with tax rebates and tax credits so that they can go, excellent, well, I appreciate the you're not making any money right now, you're developing something that could potentially be massive, mm-hmm. so here's some money back for you. Yeah. But there have been changes, as you've kind of alluded to, in UK's gov- the UK government's attitudes towards R&D. They're putting more emphasis on the large companies mm. and less less benefit for the smaller companies, which you pointed out something which I hadn't even thought about before in terms of, you know, you're absolutely spot on that that, that idea, the, 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 the statistics that the UK government put on that are completely misguided, aren't they? I think they're hugely misguided. I think large companies are terrible at making tech. Um, when a company gets so, I was just saying to you previously, you know, we. The, the company I'm with now, we work, well, I currently work for a, a tech company. And we're an early stage scale up company, you know, somewhere around the, you know, three to five million pound sort of turnover mark mm-hmm. and you know, forecasted about 10 million next year. So we're in that scale up stage where we're still mm-hmm. loss making, but we're on the border nearly breaking even. So for people like us, yes, that R&D money is really nice and really helpful. But at the same time, it's not a lifeline critical we've got. Good, mm-hmm. you know, we've got millions in the bank, we're, we're comfortable. But if you thought we winded six months ago or a year ago from where we are today, that money would be a lot more important. And, you know, we've been at this for 12, 13 years. So 
I've, I've spent a lot of my sort of career working in early stage tech companies and that sort of startup from that idea phase to bringing it up and, and all the rest. But anyway, with this current role, the one thing that we've learned is large tech companies that we sell to in particular aren't the best at making new technology. In terms of innovation, they're too big an outfit, too many moving cogs to be able to to develop or to make that the widget that they're trying to make. So it's much easier for them to outsource to companies like ours at the moment to build those little bits to see if they work or they don't work. And mm -hmm. if they do, well, then they can acquire a company like us. The problem, and okay, at the moment, the government wants to do that. They like supporting enterprise companies because just for the people listening who might not get R&D, if a company is profitable, it's a tax offset. So it's less taxation income that will come in. However, if it's a loss-making company, so they're not paying tax, you get that as cash. Now that's the problem because mm -hmm. it's not offsetting the potential income, they're actually giving us money that we didn't have yeah. to make that tech. And that's where the problem lies. Where these companies, these small companies and these startups are where the innovation and where the ideas actually come from. This is where the emerging tech comes from. Every single, you know, chat GBT started in someone's basement once. Yeah. yeah, it's that basic. Um, now, those companies, 80, 90% of their income come from their R&D returns. Angel investors make high-risk investments in these companies, but do so knowing that an R&D return will come back. You know, most of these companies that I've worked for or consulted for or was an FD for, that's our lifeline. It's bread and butter money, that. Mm -hmm. and if we didn't get that R&D money, these companies would have been bust a long time ago. Totally, yeah. And this is my biggest worry is the government haven't thought through that if we are not supporting those early stage companies anymore, which what this taking this money away does, they're not going to mm -hmm. ever come to fruition. And you've got to remember, it's not just about being a profitable company that proves that that tech is a success. Quite often, these companies are acquired by bigger companies before they are profitable. So they're loss making. They're venture-led, they're relying on investors to put money in. Mm -hmm. So if I was a VC and wanting to scale one of these, if I'm not getting that R&D money coming through, I'll be a lot more less reluctant to spend that mm -hmm. money. And as a CFO, I would know now that my cash is more scarce and not want to spend it, which means it's slowing down the amount of R&D I'm making to try to get my product to market mm -hmm. and to make it commercial. So it's not going to do the world of good for innovation in the UK. Totally, because if you look at the like the product life cycle, like you, as you said, those smaller businesses will be plowing a lot of money into their research and development, developing mm -hmm. a product. It may get to 75% there, mm -hmm. get acquired by a large company, a Google, for example. Yep. They will then finish off that R&D stuff. But then in terms, if you look at the stats, when you know HMRC or the UK government look at it, they'll go, well, at this stage, this SME, was, we were giving them money, as you said, and what do they generate? Well, they disappear off the map, but they don't actually factor in the fact that they were acquired by Google. Mm. But then they look at Google and go, well, this technology that they bought from an SME three years ago now suddenly is actually a product which they're marketing and it's contributing to their bottom mm. line. And they will also be investing in the R&D of that product. Yeah. So they'll go, um, well, that's make good it better and better and better. Yeah. And they'll say, that's what we want in this country. And that's great. And that's fine. But the problem is you've lost the site that mm -hmm. that started three years ago in someone's back garage. If you take away that... They're taking away two thirds of that money. You take that away, that, that that's because yeah, they don't. The uh, yeah, the, the large companies don't necessarily have the time and patience 
to do no. all of that early development work. And happen. do you want the large companies to be responsible for making all of our technology? Absolutely not. No, because they aren't going to hire a certain amount of people. Do you want them to be the only employers of innovation? Mm-hmm. No, you need your startups. I mean, what, 85% of the businesses in this country are SMEs. Yeah. You need your startups, you need your scale-ups and your small businesses to be able to produce that technology and have the agility. A good example, right? We've made a, we've made a product at the moment that we've just launched to market. That's cost us quite a bit of money to get it to this stage. And we've done a lot, we've all the research, we've got, it's a brand new vertical for us, it's a new sector, we put all this effort in, we've launched this product, and it's great, but it works. But instantly, we get feedback going, ah, oh, you know what, if it did A, B, and C, that'll be even better. So then we then go away, and now we invest our dev time and our R&D time, to create A, B, and C to increase the value of that product. Mm-hmm. Now that's R&D spend, and that's making that piece of technology usable for that sector. Yeah. And that's gonna go on back and forth. There's no dream scenario that anyone just says, it's a lovely, theoretically, that yes, someone build a product and boom, it's ready, and there you go, thank you very much, we yeah. bought. It doesn't work like that. Yeah, back and forth, things change, the market changes, tech changes, it's gonna be always up to date, and then hopefully you may be acquired. But the truth is there's a huge amount of R&D that's got to go to get it to that point. Yeah. And it's also, never, it's never finished really, is no, it? No, never. And it was, what was I watching? Some painful kids TV show the other day because I have two young kids and that's my life now. It's watching kids TV shows. <laughs> um, and uh, was it Odd? Anyway, Odd Squad, one of these. Anyway, it was talking about failure and science. And there was a good point that came on there and that, you know, oh, it was also an avid elementary as well the other day. But it was a good point that science is failure. Um, and you've got to remember tech and emerging tech and new technology and R&D, the stuff that we're meant to be making for these R&D returns, um, is about failure. Is nine times out of 10, it doesn't work what we do and we've got to go and do it again or try something different or try a new way to make it work. Mm-hmm. That costs money and that takes time. Um, and only the small businesses are agile enough to be able to do that, the startups because yeah, they spend most of the time unpaid doing it in their back garage for nothing, because yeah, they do it, founders do it for passion of love. Um, but they do need teams to support them, so. Mm-hmm. And I think that, sorry. Well, I was just gonna say, like, mm-hmm. when was the last time that you gave, that Google, could, when could you feed meaningfully, meaningfully back to Google on their, on their product? And how would that fall on deaf ears? Probably. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I can't, I can't talk about Google or one of our clients, so I can't, I can't, <laughs> can't talk individually about oh, large tech <laughs> companies now because I'm like in trouble. Um, they're wonderful people to work with. Um, <laughs> no, but they really are. But, um, but yeah, no, it's the, the large organizations. I mean, and, and the, the way that even the companies are structured, that, you know, you have a development squad that just works with travel, a development squad that would just work with advertising. You don't have, it's not like a small company where you have a development squad. Mm-hmm. And then you look at the best one to go into. I mean, there's so because it is so large, just the nature of it has to be micro broken down into different elements. Mm-hmm. So it makes it very difficult to be able to pinpoint new tech where it needs to be. Yeah, I think well, the biggest looking at the fact that they're not going to change their mind probably on this. I think the biggest where it comes into funding is going to be on two strands. One, where can you businesses or earlier stage companies that are looking to start, because I don't think the fallout of this is gonna really hit for another five years, because you gotta remember, it's it's a long supply chain, so already it's the companies that aren't going to be starting tomorrow 
is where it's going to hit. And we're not going to feel that for another three years in the market, three to five years in the market. So, but where the companies, you know, what can we do? What, what can a person wanting to start a business now that's not going to get that R&D money, where they're going to get their money from? So that's one question. Yep. And the other question is, with the market the way it is today, and a huge percentage of funding for some of your clients potentially, especially the one size of the companies I, we work together on, mm-hmm. that R&D refund was a massive amount of their cash flow. So they're gonna have to either raise more money somehow, access more money, or work out what to do. Yeah. So that's the second question is, what do we do? <laughs> <laughs> Shit, we're out of money. Um, you know. What now? Um, so I think, for me, I think they're the two main sort of elements when it comes to tying it in. Um, mm-hmm. No, you're so right, because the, the innovation curve, <coughs> like, the innovation curve is something that, you know, it will eventually come to an end when people cotton on and go, oh, actually, what's the point in doing this? There's, there's no potential upside to this. Or we'll go to another country that does it. Yeah. We'll go to America. America's got good R&D returns. Mm-hmm. We'll go to Australia. Well, it's terrible when we go to Australia, but like, you know, uh, EU, go to Europe, go to Croatia. That would be the, ir- the irony of the whole thing is that yeah. then all of this innovation goes to the EU. Which what was that sense. wonderful thing Spain did? Was it no Mallorca? Was it Mallorca or Spain where you can, if you remember this, it was in lockdown, move your business over there and you got tax free for a period of time. I did like, not see that, no. Oh my God, it's amazing. <laughs> a mate of mine did it. Um, a couple of friends of mine did it. You can move your business over there and make that your registered address, move your entity over and you got like some sort of tax allowance free, was better, but you could live in Mallorca for lockdown. It's a way of boosting the economy post COVID. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> mate, not a bad place. Tell you what, if, if I was single and, and you know, and had a small <laughs> little business, I <laughs> didn't have two kids, it would be a thought process. Um, but you know, it's, um, but in regards to those two questions, I think companies now that are really, you know, clients of yours now that are incredibly reliant on that money, and won't be getting it in. Mm-hmm. I think budgeting and forecasting, obviously, <laughs> really important. <laughs> Make bit sure. A, bit of a buzzword on this podcast. Yeah, I, cash flow. <laughs> oh, cash flow is cash is king. And yep. bank. Oh, my my favorite statement. My favorite lines. Bank account statements don't lie. <laughs> People lie. They don't mean to lie, but yep. bank account statements don't. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it, it tells you exactly what's coming in, what's coming out. Yeah. Everything else is bullshit. It's the only truth. Mm-hmm. And really being on, using that as your starting point to your budget, get your bank statements the last two years, do your cash flow on that, and then mm-hmm. really being honest with yourself on, on, on what you think you're going to get in in sales, um, and then working out what you're going to do and how long your runway is before mm-hmm. you go bust. And if you haven't got that runway before you go bust, and you haven't got any sales coming in, accessing finance and how you're gonna access it, mm-hmm. I think is the big thing. And there's a couple of things that people can think about. I mean, one thing that um, uh, you could look at things like, um, look at commercial, um, so a good example, and it's public knowledge, so I don't mind sharing. So Uber, who I'm with now, tech company, as I said, similar situation, raising money, um, they did something really clever. Instead of going out to the market and arranging more money from, you know, angel investors, they went to a corporate, to a commercial company that could really benefit from our technology, that invested in us for a completely different reason, mm-hmm. and that was large enough to become a large client. 
And that's smart money. What do you do? What mm -hmm. does your tech do? Have you got a piece of tech that's ready for market? Who is it going to help? Is there a large company that your tech will make lots of money for, or could make lots of money for, or be really strategically important? Mm -hmm. Are they a potential future buyer for your business? Then they could get in the ground, then get in the floor now and buy you, or percentage of you, let's say, for 10 million, 5 million, 2 million, whatever, for whatever you think your valuation is. But it's a completely different investment. It's not because they need an exit, it's because they need your tech to be able to make money. Yeah. And that's a completely different type of raising money. That is a really clever way because what you're doing is boosting the valuation of your company because obviously you can boost it up because they're making commercial money out of you, mm. not looking for the financial return. But more importantly, you've got a sale, you know, potentially. Obviously, that person is going to want to buy your services from you. They're not get it for free. They're going to have to pay for your product, your services, or whatever yeah. you're selling. Um, normal rates, if not more. So you've picked up a client, and you've picked up an investor, mm -hmm. and you've picked up a potential future exit strategy. That's yeah, that's gold, really, gold, gold. Really interesting. I mean, that's even something you can extrapolate outside of the tech industry. It's like looking, Hugely. looking up your supply chain, yeah, and going like, well, is there a potential investor in there to help me grow yeah. my business? Is there, and that's. People don't, I mean, there's cons. I mean, obviously there's cons to it because, you know, you're, you're but, but, but the, 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 I think there's a way more pros to cons. I mm -hmm. think people get scared. I think, I often suggest this, one of these, this is a method to people and the feedback I get is how, how do I do that? Mm -hmm. And there's a fear of, you know, putting oneself out there to, to make it happen or how do I meet these people? It's called LinkedIn. It's a wonderful tool. Just use mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Stalk them. Send them messages. Harass them. Find their email. Get your inner salesman out. I always say to my old thing is, you know, sales is just solving someone's problem. So if you really believe that your software or your business is actually going to solve the problem for that person you're trying to raise that money from, or mm -hmm. that commercial entity, you're actually doing them the favor. Yeah. So you're actually helping them do their job. Yeah. It's just making sure you find that right person. Look at the CEO, go for the CEO, go for the CFO, look at chief investment officer, look at the chief yeah. product officer, try bloody everyone, it doesn't matter. You'll get a bite if they're interested. Yeah. And what's their objective? Know what your tech will do to help their company. Um, so that's one type that I would definitely recommend to everyone as a first step. Mm -hmm. um, your existing investors, of course, if you have any, yeah. is a good first step as well. Um, I think your goal as a company at that point needs to be how to make yourself break even as possible and go to market and get some market, mm -hmm. capture some part of the market if you haven't already. Because that's, that's obviously yeah. the benefit of your investor as well, because they want to know, well, how quickly am I going to get my money back? 100%. People always forget that rate, if you raise money from equity, the people that are investing in you only make money when you sell your company. People mm -hmm. always forget that. People always think, oh man, no, no, it's great, they're buying a be of value in their portfolio. Yeah. They don't give a shit about that. What they care about is exit. Yeah. When are you gonna exit, and how much money am mm -hmm. I gonna make, and how much for a risk yeah. of you are you? How long can you stay in business for? So, because I'm not getting any dividends anytime no, soon. No, and you don't want them to give you dividends, because that takes more cash out of the cash flow. Yeah. So, you know, the only way they'll make their money back is when you sell the company. Um, and if you haven't got a business that's gonna sell, and there's nothing wrong with that, 
I mean, people always think that they need to build some mm-hmm. company that's going to exit for squillions. It's not about that. Yeah. Then it's debt. And there's nothing wrong with debt either. Mm-hmm. Um, there is good debt out there. And there is debt out there because banks need to lend money to make money. So yeah. it's, I always say, you know, oh God, I keep saying this. I always say when I was young. No, but you know, uh, it's the same thing. If banks don't lend money, they don't make money. It's our job to get companies in a position and company owners responsibility to get their company in a position where a bank can lend them money yes people people always say that oh well this is you know oh well banks don't lend money investors aren't investing at the moment bullshit they are they always are Mm -hmm. always not going to make money it's just that you don't paint in the right picture you're not exactly what's their objective what do they need to know what do you what you know and also is it the right type of finance? Um, it's amazing the amount of manufacturing companies I meet and they haven't done asset finance. And they're like, you know, or just- you know that's an option. <laughs> yeah, what's asset finance? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know that 10, you know, five million pounds worth of machines you got downstairs. Yeah, you know we can borrow money against those. Mm-hmm. Serious, yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> and it's like, Oh, the other common one is, um, oh, I don't want debt. Why not? Because I have to personally guarantee it. Yes. But, but, but I don't want to put things at risk. And it's like, but you're asking the bank to put it at risk. Mm-hmm. Oh, but it's different. And I, I always remember my first business partner said to me, and there was an element of truth, and I'll, I'll share that at the end because I think it's always, a, it's an embarrassing story, but, but I think, you know, we all learn from our mistakes. But um, he used to always say to me, a bank's job is not to take your house. A bank just don't like taking properties. Mm-hmm. You know like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, if you if you PG something and the bank takes your house, they don't want to take your house because it's a pain in the ass. They're going to sell it. They don't want to sell it. They're not going to get much money for it. They just yeah. fire sale it. This sort of all they want to do is recover some of their money. Also, if you did a payment plan with them and offer them anything to pay it back per month, there's not a judge in the country that would then tell them they can take your house because you've made a positive step to acknowledging the debt to agreeing to pay back the debt and and it's just not in their interest to want to do that mm-hmm. and at the time I was it was my first startup and I was a bit naive so I was like oh whatever you know whatever but anyway I signed it anyway and it was an overdraft facility to um, to, our, to our first business account and um, money was racked up on this overdraft facility um, uh, and and you know the company didn't work out and all the rest of it um, and my business partner had agreed to he was a lot more wealthy than I had two parts of nothing and he had money so he, he agreed to make back the repayments but then of course what happened the bank comes knocking the door and says we're like our 40 grand back and I'm like Duh. and the fear hits you and he was dead right though. He said, um, okay, fine, I'll pay you back 50 pounds a month. That's all I can afford. The bank's like, oh, okay. I think I've been paying it off for the last 15 years. I think, I think we might have finally got towards the end of it now. Now he had quite a lot of money in the bank. He could have paid it back, but he didn't want it. He just said, oh, 50 pounds a month. Didn't he go against our credit ratings? There's no black mark against my name. Mm-hmm. There's none of that um, because we agreed to pay everything back. And we did. Yeah. And not a judge in this country would have said, yeah, you can take his house for 40 grand. 
if we agreed to pay it back at the amount that, that he said he could afford, which, but it doesn't matter. It was agreed to pay back. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah, don't, people shouldn't be scared of, of debt. It's not that as scary as it sounds. No, it's, it's true. And I, I do have a lot of conversations with clients around this idea of, of debt. And they're, they're very, generally because they see a very, they see debt as a, in a very specific way. They either see it as a, as a loan or they've been told stuff like invoice finance things, yeah. the devil. And once you get into it, it's like heroin and you can never get off it. It's very, well. When in reality, there's, and there's a, also an element of judgment behind it as well, because there is when, when it's certainly like the old fashioned systems, you can understand that because it went into a separate bank account. Mm-hmm. You're like, well, why, why is it invoiced? And, why they, ha- and they had to pay from a different com- to a different yeah. company and it looks yeah. bad on you as a company. It looks like, oh, you're not in control of your finances. Factoring, I think it was, mm-hmm. all, it was called. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But now there are new products on the market which make it more flexible. Yep. Hugely. And also be careful who you go with because um, I won't name companies, of course, but there's some suppliers out there that are incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. And I always say there are some lenders out there. Um, I, I did some broking once many years ago and I had to stop because I had an ethical dilemma with it. As an accountant, my responsibility is to my clients and to make sure that I'm looking after their businesses and them. That's my mm-hmm. responsibility. As a broker, your lenders like Iwaka will pay you a 10% um, you know, broker's fee based on the, you know, what they will make on that mm-hmm. lifetime of that loan. NatWest, and they will charge the client, what, 10, 15% interest, right? Mm-hmm. NatWest will charge a client 4% interest back in the day. Um, I'd say, but they who pay can you, I get hold of for exactly. that? <laughs> but as a broker for NatWest, they would only pay me 1.06% mm-hmm. commission. Now, if my job was a professional broker, am I gonna take 1.06% of that 4% interest? Mm-hmm which is not gonna make me very much money at all, or am I gonna go down the route and wanna take my 10% or my 15% interest? Yeah. It's, it's, it makes, you know, if my professional job was a broker, you would always wanna sell the most expensive product. Invoice financing, very similar game. You, there's invoice financing people out there mm-hmm. that'll pay large fees to people for introductions, but charge the roof, and then you've got some of your other ones or your banks that may charge less. Mm-hmm. And I always say to clients, don't be scared about going to your bank that you bank with now and talking to them about this. And this, this is another point that I think a lot of SMEs don't think about. The issues for challenger banks and digital banks is debt is very, very important. Digital banks don't lend money. It's that simple. Yeah. And banks lend money to companies that have relationships with them that they feel that they can trust and aren't high risk. If you have to move all your accounts over to a bank to be your customer, you're not going to be as a preferred person to lend money to, unless you've got lots of money in the bank, mm-hmm. rather than someone that's been with them for a long period of time. Yeah. And people don't think about that. And that's, they think, oh, digital bank's sexy. I'm going to go with Starling and, you know, get yeah. my free online account to Wise or one of these mobs. Mm. Um, but they don't lend money. <laughs> and yeah, so when the, when yeah. the proverbial hits the farm. Yeah. Or well, you want to scale. I yeah. mean, was that thing they teach us at accounting school? Debt is cheaper than equity. And it's really true. Mm-hmm. Like, so if you're a company that, let's say, is doing really well, you've got a really good turnover, you've got your, your you know, not even necessarily profitable, but you're scaling, right? And you want to get to that next stage. Like, I mean, I'm happy to share, but Ubio is in that great position now, right? 
we don't need to raise it. We don't want to sell equity right now. If I had to raise money, and the market was a bit different probably than it is now, but I would go for debt because I could borrow money. I know exactly how I would use that money to scale the company faster or quicker or into different areas because we've learned. And I know that we could pay back that interest. And the idea is by borrowing that money, I'm going to be able to increase the valuation of the company because I'm going to increase our sales mm -hmm. and make our company much larger than it is. Um, and I haven't sold any equity. Yeah. So now that, that our equity is worth so much more for borrowing that small chunk of money mm -hmm. um, that we could easily afford yeah. to pay back. So it's, and, and SME probably has even more, they have even less equity to play with as well. So it's not as if, hugely. You can, you can only sell 49% of your business once. But if you're an owner managed business, what are you selling if you're yeah. selling equity? Like, I exactly. often, I AFD for a number of owner managed businesses and I always come in because they say we want, we want to raise money or I want to sell the company or I want to raise equity and you're like, it, you can't, you're owner managed. And then I want, and I spend most of my time trying to teach them the business is all about you. No one's going to, it's all about yeah. you. It's not about, you know, if you die, the business is screwed. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no legacy plan. There's no one else. People buy yes. from you because they like you. There's no, you're not, there's nothing to sell. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You need and debt. Debt is how you're going to grow. Mm -hmm. um, or come up with a credible way of getting yourself yeah. out of the business. Or management buyout. Yeah, yeah exactly. hand over to your staff in the future years. Or if it's an accounting practice, sell your clients to the next person. But again, it's still not going to have that impact. Be a cash cow, take the money out, grow it, and close it when you're old, won't they? Mm -hmm. But there's that, every business is different. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think the big thing circle back is not to panic um startups i think is the biggest worry is what what a startup does what does somebody do now that wants to start a tech company and to be honest i think nine out of ten of them haven't thought about r d anyway as a source of income in terms of scaling but yeah. you know in terms of actually paying the bills um but i think what will have to happen is that the founders are going to have to do a lot more work themselves it's going to take longer to build your product mm -hmm. and you're going to have to spend more money on outsourcing to foreign countries. Yeah, because they're not going to have the luxury of bringing in mm -hmm. in-house development teams. It's going to have to be... Oh, definitely not. Or, this as is, you this said, is what I laugh about. Sunak saying, oh, he wants to be the innovation capital of the world, but you've just taken away all the innovation money. Yeah, you want to be the innovation capital of the world. Mm -hmm. It then, is now cheaper for me to outsource to foreign countries to build my technology than build it in-house. Mm -hmm. or to build it in the UK. I may as well outsource it to Romania or, or well, it used to be Ukraine, but that's not cheap anymore. And obviously mm -hmm. since the war, it's not been a, a desirable place, but I may as well outsource to different mm -hmm. countries. Why do it here? What's the point? Well, I suppose the UK government will be laughing then because they don't have to pay R&D on it because they're like, oh, well. No, they don't, but they're not going to make the money from the tax either, from the wages or the <laughs> national insurance. So <laughs> the yeah. PAYE. Um, and, and you would eventually, if you were a tech company, ask yourself the question of why am I here? High corporation mm -hmm. tax, what's the point? You might as well go to Ireland. Totally, yeah. Ireland's got great tech. It's got great developers. Mm -hmm. It's in the EU. You get EU funding. It's more comfortable. You're going to be sitting around your Facebooks and your Bulldog games. What would you, what would you? Mm -hmm. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's sad, but it's, it's, it's true, though. I'd love to be proved wrong, but mm -hmm. it, is, it is a worry. I suppose the last question I had for you then is you kind of talked about your, your role is to kind of get people in a position where they are invest people will willing to invest in them or they're mm -hmm. willing to borrow for them. So what, what tips would you give business owners out there about what they can do in terms of 
being ready for that investment, being investment ready, being yeah, for sure. ready to scale up. Yeah, I think there's two, two parts to that question. I think one part is getting investment ready. I think the second part is finding the right investor as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important. People don't take that for granted. But getting investment ready. Um, building, I know founders hate doing this, but it's true, but uh, a lot of people like to outsource business models or forecasts, especially, right? Because you got to, an investor wants to see your forecast for the next three years ahead. Mm-hmm. I think it's really, really important. And remembering I'm with a lovely, wonderful accounting company right now <laughs> that will help you do your forecasts, I'm sure. Um, but you have to work, they have to work with you on them. Totally. Yeah, I've seen enough examples in my career of getting a set of forecasts and then I'm like, so, why do your sales double in month three? Oh, the accountant said it looked good. It's like, that's not an answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it, it's, it's, so it's, it's, it's working with your accountant to be able, you can only build something based on the information that your client gives you. If your client is not gonna feed you the information that you need, you can't do it and that is the reality I think that shocks a lot of our clients where we we have done forecasting and I'll sit with them we'll have an initial meeting agree a price and mm-hmm. it's like right okay uh, when can I get it by it's just like well you need to come in like, yeah. well, what do you mean We've, I've already told you everything it's like no no, no that, that was a, a brief outline <laughs> a three year three way forecast profit and loss balance sheet cash flow we need to sit down and we need to talk mm-hmm. about these things we need to talk about get into the, the detail of it and they're kind of like oh right okay and, and people always forget that Every action has a reaction, right? This is what I always talk about with modeling, is you told me in month three, you're going to double your sales, but I can see you haven't increased your marketing spend. So how are you going to double your sales in mm-hmm. month three? Oh, the marketing from the last three months will take effect. Bullshit. Sorry, I call yeah. bullshit. Like, that's not how it works. I said, planning on bumping into Bill Gates in the, in the lobby. Exactly. Can you tell me who that <laughs> customer would be? Oh, no, because we haven't built it. It's all theoretical. And blah, blah. Of course it's theoretical. Mm. Yes, it's pulling it out of the sun. But every action still has a reaction. Mm-hmm. If you told me that you're going to grow to a 1.5 million turnover in your first year, who am I to say that's wrong? But you need to tell me how. Yeah. And also, I'm looking at your salaries. They haven't increased. Well, you know, we're going to do it all on ourselves. Again, I call bullshit. You can't because your product's going to be under stress. It's never been under stress before. Mm-hmm. You're going to need to have more tech developers. You haven't increased your budget for tech developers. Oh, well, great. Well, we need to increase that. Yeah. Your staffing needs to increase. You need sales staff. They need to be paid commissions. Where's your commission payments? Oh, you know, but all stay. How much are you going to pay them? Oh, 30 grand a year. Well, who the hell are you going to have selling your products? You know, you need yeah, exactly. no wrong. You need about 150 a year. What? I can't. So great. Mm-hmm. The, the, where, why this is all important is Good investors, and I say it like that because I do think they are, but look at your numbers. Your numbers should tell the story. Your business plan or your investment deck or whatever the hell you want to call it should be a narrated version of your financial model. That's how I always say and I always do it. Right? Mm-hmm. And that means if you tell me in your business plan that you're going, the way that you're going to scale your business is through channel sales of A, B, and C, well, I want to see that in your model. And if you're saying that you're going to get the student market and you're going to do it through blah, 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 great. I want to see that in your marketing spend on how you're going to do that. Yeah. And the experienced entrepreneur would know that. And if I was an investor, they're the things I'm going to be looking for. And if you 
don't have those things, I think it's, it makes it not impossible to raise money, but a much, much harder sell. And mm -hmm. while, it, while it's important, and yes, I can hear people saying already, that's BS, so I've raised money already, it doesn't matter, I didn't put that much thought into it and we raised money. Yeah, mm -hmm. great, and what happened? You didn't have enough money, did you? Yeah. No. Yeah. And then what happened? You had to go back and raise money again. Yeah. That's the problem. You're not, uh, if you don't do it properly in the first place, you're not going to know how much money you need to actually build your product because mm -hmm. you haven't thought about it. And the truth is that plan's going to go to pot anyway. All right. Yeah. <laughs> that is the truth. All right. So, but it doesn't matter if you actually think it through. At least you're going to over exaggerate how much you may potentially need to do it and you've got that money to pivot the reason why at ubio i don't mind sharing we're in a comfortable position is because we have extra money in the bank i've never been as i'm saying to you before we started first startup in my life i've ever been in that position which is wonderful mm -hmm. because i haven't had to spend the next six months fundraising yeah now every time i've been in a startup i spend 90 percent of my time raising money that means it's 90 percent of the time not focusing on how to grow the company and if i was a founder you need to be growing and scaling your business not focusing on how you're going to raise your next round of investment mm -hmm. because you've run out because you didn't ask for enough money yeah so is that is there an element of it kind of it being glamorized the idea of a, of um getting money in in terms of selling an idea Selling a dream. Selling a dream, yeah. <laughs> and they see like social networking. Uh, <coughs> is that how it works? Yes and no. I mean, yeah, selling a dream is really important. And, and you know, the founder's job, the CEO's job is to sell a dream, especially in an early stage investment uh, mm -hmm. company, because we can't do it yet. We are selling something that doesn't exist. Um, all dreams need an element of reality yeah. to, 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 to make it happen. Um, and, and this is, that brings me to that next point about the right investor, because that's the other thing I think that lots of early stage companies don't take into consideration. I've worked, I've worked or contracted for enough startups now to see what happens when you don't have the right person or you've got investment from someone that you've missold to. And this is the other thing about getting ready for investment that's so important. You need to make sure that you believe in what you've written. That authenticity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've had this before, that you've helped someone make a model, you've given them their forecasts, they've gone out to market, they've raised a couple of million, they've come back, and then you sit there as a, in a board meeting or whatever, or as a, you know, going through the end of month accounts with the board members, and there is an internal fight because according to that board member who's the investor is sitting there going, you haven't done what you said you're going to do. And they're like, oh no, well, we're actually going to do X now. Yeah. And that happens all the time. And people think, oh, but we've got the money. It doesn't matter. But that's bullshit because the problem is investor X is not going to invest in you because they think, you know, they can't trust you. Um, and then you've got a, um, so that's going to be a major issue. Um, and then you're going to have, um, the, in re if you don't have a, an existing investor reinvest, it looks really bad. Mm -hmm. So if I was a new investor coming in a series B or something, I'd be like, why aren't any original investors putting money in? Yeah. Oh, you know, they didn't believe in the, how we're going to scale the company. It's like, well, what did you sell? Show me your first deck that you sent them. Why yeah. did you send it? Is that what you've always wanted to do? 
And the truth is, yeah, it is. If that's what you want to do, and if that's what you really believe that you're going to do, then find the investor that, that, that believes in that dream. Don't just take the first money that comes along because you're desperate. And that's, mm -hmm. that's the worry. And we do that. We're humans. I mean, it's a natural knee-jerk, mm -hmm. but you've got to find the right people. And you've got to find people you like, people you want to work with. Remember, your investors are actually your co-workers. I mean, there's plenty of times I've worked with some larger VCs, especially, where I don't, they, they are not on my Christmas card list. They're not nice people. We're not going to ask you to name and shame. Um, I won't because I'll probably want to get money out of them again one day. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, but, but the thing is, they've got a job to do, I understand, but there's a way of doing it. And I, of course, I play the character and I do all the right things. But, but if I had a cracker of a business that I wanted to raise money for, that I know these guys are continue looking for deals on, gonna go to them because I'm gonna to have to work with them every day. I'm gonna to go to the other guy that I really liked because mm -hmm. he was a top bloke or top lady, the top, I keep saying bloke, I shouldn't say that, but a top, top person that I really enjoyed working with. Mm -hmm. um, I'll go to them first and they can say no or yes. Yeah. Um, Just how you pick your employees, as yeah. you said, that it's the person you want. 100%. With. You and you pick the you first thing to, go through the door. Look, as an early stage company, you need to trust their advice as well and their experience. Mm -hmm. And we've got an awesome angel at UBO that we, you know, that we were very close to and he's been chair and he's all sorts and he's an incredibly knowledgeable person at scaling companies of this size. He's, he's great. Mm -hmm. He's a go-to guy for advice. Yeah. And it's so important. Um, and also, second of all, your investor, the best investor you can get as early stage, I call you black, little black book investor, right? Smart money. It's investor from somebody who's actually going to bring you clients. And again, I'm sure Ubi won't mind me using them as an example, but you know, we've got some investors that came along with several clients because they want to see their investments do well. Mm -hmm. um, and they can bring new business to the table. That's great, man. Yeah, that's, that's a scenario where the, the, the person who's <coughs> investment can be disappointed because they're, again, sold a dream. Yeah. And they may have three or four different, like the classic Dragon's Den scenario where you've got three or four different people vying for your business and you're told, you, similarly you're sold the dream of, yes, I can get this to this stage because I've got the contacts, but then yeah. these contacts never appear. It, it always makes me laugh because when you have money as a company, and when you're doing, when you're growing and you're scaling, investors come to you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> when you've got nice nothing, feeling. you're desperate and you keep banging on, you have to knock on a lot of doors <laughs> to raise money, you know? Um, but it's, um, and it's a thankless task, but um, it's a task that needs to be done. But yeah, right money, right investors. That's my uh, tip. <laughs> That's your top tip then. Yeah, so we've kind of covered a lot of ground there. To say. Sorry, mate, I no, talk no, a lot. <laughs> it's a good podcast where the guests speak more than that. And I, I, just, I just get to nod along, which has been really interesting, yeah. It's been great to chat about the R&D stuff. Really yeah, interesting about, I, um, the, about obviously, then that kind of pivoted into the finance stuff in terms of how, how people can kind of get themselves investment ready and what they need to be looking out for. And it's maybe just been a bit braver in terms of like waiting out on that ideal, ideal investor. Yeah, a bit, br a bit braver, but think outside the box. Be clever. Mm -hmm. There's lots of ways of raising, as I said, there's lots of ways of raising money. Yes. Don't just do crowdfunding and expect it to come to you. It doesn't work. Crowdfunding is incredibly expensive. It costs a lot, you know, it's incredibly time consuming and you never raise money doing crowdfunding. The only people who raise money doing crowdfunding are people who have investors already. In other words, 
if I'm going to raise 100,000, I need to come to the table with 70,000 worth of investors already. Then I might get my 30, and then I might get an over subscription, mm -hmm. right? Then that's the only way it really works as a model. A lot of people, and I made this mistake twice, um, tried to raise money on crowdfunding and expected people to come to me. Mm -hmm. Why? Why would they? Yeah. I'm not Camden Brewery. The other worry with crowdfunding, just to chuck that out there, is overvaluations. It's really easy to get in the habit. They want to push you to really highly value your company at 10 billion pounds or something stupid. Yeah. The problem is, sounds great on theory, companies go, yeah, more or less equity I gotta sell, it's wonderful. It's not wonderful because by getting that valuation, you've told the investors to expect X amount of sales or X amount of something to be able to justify that. Yeah. Crowdfunding doesn't last forever. You need a proper round of funding eventually. And you're gonna go in and say, my valuation is 10 billion and we've just raised this in crowd and you know, two years ago, so now we're worth 20 billion and the investors will look at you and laugh because they'll go, no, you're not, you made no sales. Yeah. You're worth a million. And then they'll be like, oh, but we've done all this. But the thing yeah. is now you're gonna to have to do a down round and undervalue your company ridiculously, meaning you're gonna have a whole bunch of really angry shareholders that invested in you at 10 billion now only worth one. That ain't gonna look good. Mm -hmm. And that's not a good sign. That doesn't look good on you as a company. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, there's lots of, if that happened to me and I put a decent amount of money and I'll be knocking on the FCA's door going, I was missold this investment mm -hmm. because it's not worth what they were saying it was worth on this platform. And now it's only worth this. I want my money mm -hmm. back. I think, I think a lot of people would say that that's crowdfunding was like the, the new idea, but by speaking to you, there's clearly other ways and more adventures. Yeah, the crowdfunding is fine. Ways. From a marketing point of view, crowdfunding is amazing. If I'm selling a widget and I want to sell lots of that widget, crowdfunding is really good, mm -hmm. right? Especially if I can come to the table with money already because I potentially can get my widget out there to a large market of people who might buy my widget afterwards or talk mm -hmm. about my widget, right? Yeah. So it's got some legs. Um, that's why I like, um, I can't remember what they're called now, uh, Jumpstart, I think it's Jump, Kickstart. Kickstart, I used yeah. to love Kickstarter. I used to recommend it to a lot of people making products because I'd be like, mate, you're doing pre-sales. This is awesome. You're yeah. pre-selling a product to the market before you've made it. That's awesome. See, I got all the time in the world for Kickstarter and for things like mm. that, right? Because you're really, it is selling, it is actually helping you make sales and to get started. That is very different from selling equity you know mm -hmm. um but it's got its place but other things that aren't tapped into which never talked about is startup loan company um so startup loan company is a westminster backed uh loan scheme for startups Twenty-five thousand pound loans i think you're allowed one per director that may have changed up to two um companies have to be in business less than three years and you cannot be profitable, right? That is May, and it's PG'd. Yes. So that's that's a, a really nice way to get a little bit of money for someone trying to start up a small business. Yeah. Local councils, they've got no money anymore, but still worth looking at. Online, there's a wonderful um, grant calculator that no one knows about. You go to .gov.uk, you put in grant funding calculator, not calculator, search engine, but they actually have one not always kept up to date but it is pretty cool and it will show you some places and you can put in grants you can put in equity and it will have a list and how to contact these people slightly suggesting that the government don't want to give away don't want to know that they offer grant funding or something <laughs> well 
Yeah, I'll, well, that's the other one, but be careful with things like Innovate UK. Um, I only say that because yes, they do give money out, and yes, they're a huge grant funder, but you're gonna spend a lot of your time making those those applications. You Being need to have someone who's got their ear on the pulse, uh, their finger on the pulse in Innovate UK to know what they're investing in and why. And that's really important. Um, for instance, now they're so overwhelmed with AI, they're not even looking at it, they don't even bother. Mm-hmm. But they still say, we're open for AI submissions. People will spend a very long time now writing those, right? And they won't get anywhere. Pulling models together. Yeah. yeah and it's all and they're very time consuming. I think you've got to do like three year forecasts. If you get the money, if you don't get the money, like all these sort of things. Like it is a massive job, right? And if you've got any Welsh listeners, the same thing with Welsh Dev Bank money, like um, any Welsh, because uh, the Welsh government do do grants still. So Welsh, uh, any of the sort of Welsh grants and stuff, very similar things. You're going to put a lot of time in mm-hmm. where you may not get anything back. You really got to know what they're interested in. Yeah. Um, but don't kick kick things out. I know, like, for instance, in, Nor- in, in East Anglia, they are still doing EU-backed uh, grants for building manufacturing facilities. You can get 50% paid for by the EU still. There was money left in those pots. Mm-hmm. So it is worth Googling and finding out. And if people in the regions like we are, there are things to look at. You've got Tyneside down here. Oh, Tyneside, what's the one with um, uh, the mayors, the conservative? Um, yeah, um, We've got the north of time. Yeah, down there, um, uh, Middlesbrough area. Yeah. Down there, the tech park and all that. Mm-hmm. There's grants available down there. You've got um, the Welsh Development Bank. Um, um, I love it. The guy who set up the Welsh Dev Bank used to be called Finance Wales. I based in Cardiff for years, so I did lots of business with them. Mm-hmm. And they have a self-sustainable, Wales have a wonderful thing called the DB Bank. It's got hundreds of millions to invest in early stage companies. They're very, very lucky and don't realize how lucky they are, right? 150K for early stage tech scale-ups and, and extra funding thereafter to build businesses in Wales. It's fantastic. We even got that luck. But one of the dreams of the person who started it was to be able to lend money and help businesses in, uh, in England, just to rub it in, that Welsh English, you know, competitivism. So we've got this wonderful thing, I think it's called FW Capital. Um, it's in the Northeast, um, Google them. They're able to invest um, early stage capital into, into companies around the Tyne area. Um, and that's funded by the Welsh government. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, and I think it's- I thought you were gonna suggest that we have to move uh move all our businesses to Wales or well I used to do quite a bit of that chat with people there is there is elements to, to move your business around based mm-hmm. on where some funding may be but look at local government funding there is still some stuff available uh, Northern Powerhouse funding worth looking into just google it mm-hmm. have a look I know there's funding here for people in manufacturing in the chemical industry there's pots of money there's pots of money for people in the car industry it's still available in these sort of areas so yeah look into it mm-hmm. if the if you're these sort of companies that hit those spots there is money available in alternative areas yeah so there's there's a lot of steps to go to look at there's yeah. an, an element of looking at debt versus equity yeah but that's what, what's the best option for you if you are going to go down the equity route who's the right investor for you mm-hmm. and if you're going to get debt what's the best type of debt mm-hmm. go to your bank go to someone you trust go to a broker go to your accountant so what they pay us to do. We know these things <laughs> sometimes. They'll make me blush soon, Brad. God, <laughs> right, I feel like I've uh, borrowed enough of your time already, but thank you very much for all of your insights. It's been really interesting chatting about this. I hope it's helpful. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sorry if I've talked too much. Not at all. <laughs> I'm sure there's, there's plenty to go on to have a part two to this because, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like there's probably a lot of more stuff we can talk about. But in the meantime, thank you very much for your time. 
What do you think, guys? Uh, feel free to put down in the comments what you thought about that. Anything else to add? Uh -oh. uh, looking forward to it. <laughs> it was great to be here. But yeah, and uh, thank you very much for watching, and we'll catch you on the next one.